0: Off me block, book two, boned and rolled, chapter two, the happy times hostel. It was indeed a long time before I heard from Tommy. I'd been back to Cyprus in the summer of 2013, and I called on them a few times, but they were never there. Figuring that they may have gone home to Ireland for a while, I wrote them another note, popped it in their letterbox, and returned home to Dublin. Just before Christmas 2013, completely out of the blue, I got a call from Tommy. It was two o'clock in the morning on Friday, December 20th, and he was more than half cut by the sound of it. I had trouble making head or tail what he was saying to me. He was a bit hysterical. Hyped up to be home, I supposed. The gist of that late night call was that he was home and he wanted to meet me for a few pints and a chat. I couldn't wait to see him. We arranged to meet in Dumfries and Dunleary on the following Monday night, just two days before Christmas. It was a bitterly cold evening as I made my way to the pub. There was a winter storm blowing and I struggled against the gales as I walked. The pub was warm and cosy, and there were more than a few locals at the bar, bantering and swamping pints to beat the band, all caught up in the spirit of the festivities. I found Tommy at the front end of the pub, in the lounge. He was sitting alone in a booth, a pint of stout in front of him, a copy of that day's Herald folded up on the table beside him. "'Ah, oh, there you are!' he said as he stood to greet me. Jesus, you're looking great, pal. Just a bizzo. Thanks, I replied. You're looking great yourself. And that's the truth. He's grown his hair back. It now resembles Elvis Presley circa 1975, sideburns included. His moustache is gone and being clean shaven has taken a good few years from him. He's put on just a little weight, but he carries it well. There's a large scar on his forehead and I can't help but stare at it. It stretches from just above his right eye and goes diagonally across up to his hairline. He notices me staring and points at it. Oh, that, he says. What happened to you? Long story, pal, very long story, he says. I'll get to it in time. Oh, okay. Once again, we banter back and forth with the small talk. Tommy raves about his pint of stout and tells me that there's only so much canned stout a man can bear. He downs his pint with a speed which would do Jimmy no Swallow McGurk proud and shouts one in for both of us. So how have you been, I ask him. Jesus come here till I tell you It's great to be home The fucking bizzo so it is Don't get me wrong Cyprus is a buzz and all that But still It's deadly to be back And for more than one reason I can tell you First of all The stout over there is fucking muck And I mean that It's piss so it is You can't get a decent point of draft anywhere And despite having the few bob It was fucking killing me to pay a fortune and excise duty Every time I had a pallet of the stuff shipped out there Second of all I'd a pain in me arse putting me shitty toilet paper in a bucket beside the jacks Because the pipes over there can't take it Jesus, the night I got back I must have flushed four rolls of the stuff down the bog Just for the fucking novelty of it Don't get me wrong, pal Cyprus is great and all the fucking bizzo, so it is But I'm a home board and I can't stay away from the old sod for too long Cold, grey and depressing as it may be It's home-like, always will be And sure, it's great to be back over there is a buzz, mind you. One big holiday, so it is, but you'll probably crack me one in the chops when I say this. But after a while, I'd a pain in me arse with the place, do you know what I mean? You know the last few days, of your holliers, you've had your fun and all you want to do is get home, yeah? Well, i have been feeling like that since last, Crimbo. It was one long holiday, all right. Only great, so it was, I'm not complaining, but I was bored with the place and fed up too. I never thought I'd get fed up so fast with the holiday lifestyle. Jesus, when we were nippers, a holiday was a week in a scald yell hostel in Glenallock, run by the friends of St Francis. Jesus, wait till I tell you about them. They were a the queer shower altogether. You see, St Francis was our parish church, and the congregation was mostly salt of the earth, working class types like Ronnie, you know, with a few less fortunates thrown in for good measure. But there were a few who attended Mass there that were loaded. Now I'm talking seriously fucking well to do here. Anyways, a group of these rich fuckers decided to get together and form a charity. The Friends of St. Francis. You know, to help out the people in the parish who might have been struggling to keep their old heads above the water. All well and good to them and all that, you know. It's a good thing to be doing, I suppose. But let me tell you. They were the biggest shower of patronising fuckers that ever wore a shoe leather, if you ask me. You see... They were fierce picky about who they helped, and if you weren't on the scratcher, they'd have nothing to do with you, even if yous needed it. Well, Ronnie was having none of that. Even though he was working, his wage of £14 pounds and 3 shillings a week went fuck all of anywhere, and fast, let me tell you, what with the 15 of us to be fed on it like. Anyways, Ronnie puts in a request for assistance from that crowd, and sure as shite, they knocked him back. Never one to be denied, he put the scheme into action at mass the following Sunday morning. That weekend, he marched us kids down to Mass in the bitter cold and the snow, fucking Baltic so it was, and us wearing nothing but t-shirts and fucking summer sandals. He made us sit right up the top of the church in the front pew for all to see. Fucking morto so we were. Needless to say, the old friends of St. Francis came knocking on the door of our flat that very evening with new coats for all the nippers and a £5 voucher for H. Williams for me, ma. Jesus, it was queer gas to see Ronnie flying around the gaff that evening when he copped on who was at the door. Well, me ma stalled him in the hall, Ronnie was hiding anything and everything that would give us away. His mother's good china was taken from the sideboard and replaced with a load of scaldy, chipped plates instead. Every one of our coats was tossed into the hot press. And even though we'd just finished a steak dinner courtesy of Ronnie's fleet hands, he had us back at the table in a flash with plates of bread and butter and cups of water in front of each of us. He hadn't got time to hide the brand new colour telly that he'd gotten off the back of a lorry, so he just torn down the colour and pretended like we only had a black and white one. And the dozy fuckers bought it, and thinking we lived in abject poverty, they called around every few weeks with a few vouchers and maybe a hamper or two every now and again. Ronnie was like a pig in shite. And it was thanks to that shower of do-gooders that myself, Damo, and my other brother, Vinnie, ended up being sent to the St. Francis Happy Times Hostel in Glendalough for a week in the summer of 1970. Was it a good holiday? Me bollocks. It would have made Mount Joy look like Disneyland, for fuck's sake. Now, I bleedin' didn't well want to go, screamed, blue bloody, murder. so I did when my L1 dragged me out onto a coach one Saturday morning in July that year. I was thrown onto me seat and told to shut me wished and be grateful that I was getting a holiday at all. Are you fucking mad or what? I remember thinking. Now, you'd want to see what else was sitting on that bus. Nothing but a shower of the scariest bowsies and no-goods I'd ever seen in me life. Christ on a bike, even though the two brothers were with me, I was only petrified. Oh, I still can't watch that old Shawshank Redemption without having flashbacks to that week in the fucking Happy Times Hostel. Happy times, hostel. Me hole. It was more like that bait the bollocks out of your barstool. I press the creases out of me bollocks with a steam iron before I go back there, I tells you. We spent a couple of hours on the coach, and Jesus, it was a living nightmare. The driver only had one tape, and it only had one song Mungo Jerry in the Summertime, and that bastard played it again and again, over and over. Jesus, I wanted to smash the jar your man and the song blows into over the driver's head by the time we got to the hostel. When we rolled into Glendale Lock, or the Bell End of Nowhere, as Domo called it, I was only delighted to be getting off the bus. Between that fucking song and the stink of the little fucker who'd been sitting beside me, I'd had enough. The little bollocks stank to high heaven—piss, shite, dirty bins—you name it. That poor stinky bastard reeked of it. My enthusiasm for fresh air and silence evaporated as soon as I clocked eyes on the hostel. It was like the set of a Hammer horror film, I'm telling you now. Bella Lugosi wouldn't have stepped foot in the place. It was the creepiest, scariest building I'd ever seen in my short life and would have made Dracula's castle look like a timeshare in Marbella. Anyways, we were all marched into the courtyard. There was busloads of young fellas from all over Dublin and not one of them looked like he wouldn't fucking kill you. I was squeezing Domo's hand as tight as I could for fear of being separated from himself and Vinnie. We were led inside and down a long corridor and into a huge assembly hall. Once in there, we were separated into various different age groups and told what dormitory we'd be sleeping in. I needn't tell you that I went fucking ballistic when I found out that I was getting separated from the brothers. Big fat tears streamed down my face and Damo had to wipe them away with the cuff of his jumper, so we did. He told me that I'd make myself a target if any of the bows he saw me crying. So I did my best to hold them back, but it was hard, I can tell you. The thoughts of being in a strange, scared, a shite out of your building on me, Todd, was almost too much to bear. But Vinny and Damo promised me that I'd be all right, and this gobshite believed them. The lion bastards. I was put in a dormitory on the very top floor. It was basically the fucking attic, and it was a total kip. There was of us squeezed into that small room, and a brother who was responsible for looking after us for the week. It was a dump of a room. The paint was peeling off the walls. The scaldy lino tiles were peeling up at the corners. And don't get me started on the old labber that they gave me. Hard as stone, so it was. And I had more stains on it than the front row of seats at an incontinence convention. Loving the vine mother. A hellhole, so it was. I got myself settled in as best as I could. Doing me utmost not to let the others see me tears. We were called down for lunch a little while afterwards. And that's when all me hell began. There must have been three or four hundred young fellas there for the week and the bleeding noise in the dining hall was only deafening so it was. I couldn't catch sight nor sound of either of the brothers so big was the place and so packed was it with couriers from all over Dublin milling about here, there and everywhere. I was shitting myself, make no bones about it, cacking it so I was. Without either of the lads there I knew I was done for if I so much as looked sideways at the wrong person. It wasn't too long before my fears were realised. I took a seat at a table in the quietest part of the hall and sat there waiting for me scram, not looking at anyone and doing me best to mind me own business. Up walks this brazen little fucker, his skinhead littered with the scars of past battles and a gammy eye on him that'd make Sammy Davis Jr. look like the poster boy for Specsavers. "'What are you looking at?' says he. "'Nothing,' I whimpered. "'I wasn't looking at anything, I swear.' "'You yeah, where are you prick, I seen you,' says he.' I swear, says I, a rising panic now cracking me voice, I wasn't looking at anything, not even your gammy eye. Jesus wept, I couldn't believe I just fucking said that. Gammy eye or not, there was nothing wrong with his aim because he fucking well clattered me and I went flying backwards off me chair. He was on top of me before I knew what had happened and was pummeling me face out of it. Now, as I told you before, I'm a scrapper, but I didn't stand a chance this time round. That bastard was killing me, and all I could do was scream for my brothers and try and protect me head as best I could. I screamed and screamed for the boys, but sure, with all the noise in the hall, they could have been standing four feet away and not heard me. It only ended when one of the staff dragged your man off of me. But Jesus, let me tell you, by that stage it was too late. I was in bits. I had a nose and lips like Brian Cowan. I couldn't see out of one eye, and to top it all off, the bastard had knocked out one of my teeth. When the brothers saw me later that day, Jesus, they went ballistic, and Domo swore to me through teary eyes that he'd get your man and get him good. As a consequence of me baiting, I was out of the loop for a day or two, and sure, I didn't mind, didn't mind it at all. They put me in a little room on me own with a telly and everything, and I got to shovel as much jelly and ice cream as I could down me gullet. Every cloud has a silver lining and all that, huh? Mind you, I was looking forward to being back up and about because there was nothing on the telly at all. You couldn't get the English channels down there and RTE was even more shite back then, if you can fucking well believe that. Once I was back up and about, there was a rake of things to be doing. But if I was to tell you the truth, it was all bent. You could go for a walk in the woods and collect nature stuff. Bent. You could play ping pong, hoops, or sabutio in the Graham's room. Bent. And then there was arts and crafts, making peg bags and the likes. Mega bent. Me first day back on me feet and I a pain in me arse with the place. The only good thing to do was to go for an old dip in the lake. Now that was a treat, and not because of the swimming. You see, when me ma found out that we'd be taking a bus trip for fear we'd be killed on it, she went out to Goyne's and bought the three of us brand new vests and jocks. So if we were in an accident, sure we would all have clean knickers on. Huh, Irish mammy or what? She even got us new swim togs too. I got Spider-Man and Roy the Rovers jocks, but me favourite one was a pair of beige white fronts with a brown trim. Made me feel all grown up, so they did. They were only the bizzo, so they were. Me ma even stitched me initials into them and everything so that they wouldn't get mixed up with any of the brother's ones. So when we went swimming that day, I can't tell you how much it did me heart good to get stripped down to me jocks not having to worry about skid marks and what have you. I marched around in them like your man Beckham does, and that ad on the to tell you now. Chuffed isn't the word. Anyways, I got into a pair of me brand new swimming trunks and left all me gear in a tiny bundle on the lake shore and waded out into the water. Jesus suffered in Christ. I'd never felt water that cold in me life. We called it spanner water because it tightened your nuts. I was in for no more than two minutes before the cold sent me scampering back out, fearful for the health of me Mickey. When I got back to the me pile of clothes, I was and still am disgusted to find that some mangy bastard had stroked me brand new white once. Me fucking jocks, like for the love of fester than fuck, why in the world would you want to rob somebody else's jocks? Fucking beggars, belief so it does. I was distraught, so I was. It's sad to say, but at that particular moment in me young life, those beige and brown jocks were me pride and fucking joy, and some fucker had only gone and pinched them. Two days later we went swimming again, but I was cute this time. i just paddled by the water's edge, intent on keeping me amazing Spider-Man jocks safe. Who do I see prancing around in me swiped jocks? None other than that skin-headed, gammy-eyed little bollocks who'd clattered me on the first day. I took off up the lake shore, looking for the brothers. I found them a little ways up, hiding out to have a sneaky fag or two. Through panting breaths I told them me story, and the tree was set off back down towards the swimming area. Domo and Vinny were intent on ripping your man's face off with our bare hands. Where is he? asked Domo when we got there. I had a quick squiz around and found him. There's the baldy fucker, says I, pointing him out. He was still in the lake, about fifteen out in waist-high water. Right, says Vinny, when the bollocks comes out, we'll clatter him and get your jocks back. I'm not waiting, says Domo. That fucker is dead, so he is. He took off and bleeding well pegged it out into the lake. Gammy, I never saw him coming, but fucking hell, he knew it when Damo arrived. As I told you before, Damo was nothing but a string of a young fella, but he'd punch a hole in granite when he got roiled, and he was roiled up good and proper that day. He fucking clattered him, so he did, and your man went timber into the water. He was dragged back onto the beach where Damo gave him another few slaps for good measure. Get your jocks off of him, says he. Damo says, we can't do that, for God's sake. I'm going nowhere near him, he can keep them. I don't want them back now. And anyway, sure, look at the skid marks in them. They're, they're fucking ruined. You don't have to wear them, says he. Just show this fucker that you don't mess with the Costolos. Now take them back. Domo and Vinny were holding your man face down in the sand and a small crowd had gathered around us and were shouting that universally recognised chant for a fight. Oggy, oggy, oggy. Oi, oi, oi. I could see one of the staff brothers up the shore cutting on to what was happening and he started walking, then running towards us. All the while, Domo's still screaming at me to take the jocks back. I didn't want to do it. Now, I know this fucker had bet the shit out of me just four days before, but I didn't want to do that to him. The slaps he'd just gotten from me brothers was punishment enough as far as I was concerned. Nobody, in my book and anyways, deserves to be stripped bollock naked in public no matter what they might have done to you. The shamer of it like. Still, Damo kept screaming at me and the Snaff brother is getting closer to us by the second and morals about force, public nudity are not. I fucking love those jocks, so I did. So I ripped them from him. Damo let him go and the gammy-eyed little bastard went tearing back towards the hostel as bollock naked as the day he popped out of his elbow one. The crowd cheered for our victory and I stood there swinging me reclaimed jocks above me head like it was the heavyweight champion's belt and then I copped it where I'd expected to see me initials stitched into the waistband in me mother's delicate stitch. There was nothing. They weren't my fucking jocks. I was sick. I felt so bad for that young lad at that very minute. He deserved the slaps for sure, but not the bollock naked bit. All thoughts of his injured dignity went out the window about two seconds later when I was hoisted by the ear into the air by the staff brother. Another one had Domo and Vinny by the locks and we were dragged back to the hostel, kicking and screaming as we went. The upshot of the whole unfortunate incident was that we were thrown into a room for the rest of the week and kept there, day and night. We weren't allowed to do anything except sit there and pass the time. So there we sat, in a big old dormitory with eight beds, just the three of us. Fucking incarcerated, so we were, with nothing to do to pass the time but count the hours between feeding times when one of the staff brothers would bring us our scran. It was a nightmare, a complete fucking nightmare. To add insult to injury, as if being locked up day and night wasn't bad enough, we were convinced that the room was haunted. I've no shame in telling you that on that first night the three of us were huddled under the blankets together of the one bed, so much were we absolutely shitting ourselves. We'd each been in our own bed, having a bit of banter and the likes, when the bed down beside the door went fucking well hooring across the room of its own accord, like... I was out of me labba and across the room to Domo's bed in a heartbeat, with Vinny just two steps behind me. Domo was slagging us for being babbies, but when the wardrobe door slammed shut all on its own, he changed his fucking tune. Now seeing Domo scared didn't inspire much confidence in us, because he was always the brave one, the mad one like. We were terrified and our fear wasn't helped by the fact that only a few weeks beforehand we'd snuck into the Savoy and watched Frankie Avalon in the haunted house of horror. Jesus wept. I didn't half get pucked when I reminded them what had happened at the end of the film. Yep, that first night was one of the longest I've ever spent in my life, and I've put in some long ones, I can tell you that. We didn't sleep a wink, not one of us. We were that scared that we couldn't even bring ourselves to get out from under the covers for a slash, so we just sat there on the bed and went as and when we needed to. That'll tell you how much we were shitting ourselves, or, or pissing ourselves, I suppose. "'I was never so happy to see a sunrise, "'and as we sat in let our brekkie the next morning, "'Domo announced to us that he'd had enough "'and that we should make a break for it.' "'Make a break for it?' says Vinnie. "'Are you mad or what? "'We're on the fourth floor and the door's double locked. "'The only way out is the window, "'shall we bleed and we'll kill ourselves.' "'All right, all right,' says Domo. "'We'll stay here for another night "'and see how much closer that ghost gets to us.' "'Enough said. "'We spent the day tying sheets and blankets together.' Domo's plan was that once everyone was called inside for the film that night, just before it got dark like, the lads would lower Muggins' hair out the window. Once I was down, it was then my job to get back inside, make my way up to the fourth floor and let the lads out using the keys that were on the table outside in the corridor. Once we were out, Domo said we could walk to Lara in about an hour or so. Once we got there, we'd go straight to the cop shop and tell them that we'd been kidnapped and should they drive us home. What happened after that? Well, that didn't matter. We'd be bet for sure, bet black and blue, no doubt about it, but at least we'd sleep in our own bed that night and not have to spend another night with the ghost of the Happy Times Hostel. I needn't tell you which one of the two was more appealing. After dinner that night, we packed up our few bits and pieces and waited for it to get dark. We heard the bell to call everyone go off at about quarter to nine and we waited another few minutes to make sure the coast was clear. Are you sure that's tight enough, says I, to Vinny as he tied our sheet rope around me waist? Tight as a nun's knicker, says he, sure you'll be grand. That's easy for you to say, says I. Shut your whinging, domo pipes up, it has to be you, we're the strongest, you're the lightest. So you see, it has to be you. Now come on, let's get fucking out of here. Climbing out that window was no picnic, and it went against every natural instinct in me body, so it did. Shitting myself so I was, loving Jesus when I crawled out onto the window ledge, I nearly collapsed with the fear. I don't want to do what I said as I tried to scramble back inside, but Domo barred me way. You'll be grand, says he, I swear. Vinny, have you got it? Yep, says Vinny. Then the bastard pushed me and down I went faster than a blaster's knicker screaming all the way. They slowed me up after about twenty feet and started to lower me gradually down. "'Just beneath the window ledge of a room on the second floor they stopped. "'Are you down?' Domo says in a whisper. "'I am in me bollocks,' says I. "'I'm only at the second floor.' "'Fuck it and anyways,' I could hear them say to Vinny, "'What's wrong?' says I, a panic rising in me chest "'and threatening to make me wig out. "'Are you sure you're not down?' shouts Domo. "'The fucking neck of him was I down. "'Did he think I didn't know the difference between solid ground "'and swinging in the breeze like the string of a discarded tampon?' No, I'm not. I'm still a good 15 or 16 feet up. Let me down some more, says I. We can't. What? Why the fuck not, says I. I got me sums wrong, says he. There's not enough rope. Well, pull me back up then, says I. Hold on, says he. I have a plan. You do in your arse, says I. Now pull me back up, will you? There's a flower bed to your left. No fucking way, says I. You sure you'll fucking kill me if you miss? We won't miss. Now hold on. We're going to start to swing you towards it. Then we'll let you go. Ye's will in your bollocks, says I. They paid no mind to me objections and immediately started to swing me. Slowly at first, then faster and faster, and all the while I'm screaming blue, bloody mortar. In a whisper, mind you, I didn't want to get us caught like. They swung me higher and higher, and I was terrified that Finney's knot would come undone. I was sick to me stomach, and by this stage I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I didn't care if we got caught. I just wanted to be back safely on the ground. Beneath the whistle of the wind in my ears, I could hear Vinny shouting. One, oh fucking hell, says I. Two, Jesus Lord, protect me. Three, they let me go. Love the divine sweet Jesus, I screamed as I flew through the darkness like a conker on a broken string. Do you know the difference between a flower bed and a rockery? "'No, neither did Damo. Bleeding well destroyed, so I was. "'Nothing too serious, mind you, but I could have done without it. "'A few cuts and bruises and a spear-shaped piece of granite to the hole "'when I stumbled backwards and fell after landing. "'I dusted myself off and set about getting back into that hellhole of a hostel. "'After about twenty minutes of fumbling around in dark corridors and stairways, "'I finally reached the room where the brothers were. "'Another ten minutes and we were out.' breathing fresh air into our lungs and ready to get the fuck out of there. An hour to Lara? Me bollocks. The hostel was a lot further up the valley than any of us had it thought. We straggled into town, arriving just after midnight, and there wasn't a sinner to be seen. Even the fucking cop shop was locked up for the night. We were fucked, and we knew it. We couldn't walk home, sure it was a good forty mile at least, and sure we didn't know the way in anyways.' We had no other choice but to make our way back to the hostel and hope to God that we could get back inside without being sussed. We made it back to our room without ever having been missed. A powerful indictment of the level of care provided by the friends of St. Francis, I might add. I can't tell you how sick I was when Vinnie pointed out that we'd be snared in anyways, because even though we were now relatively safe and sound back in our room, so were the keys to the door. Out that fucking window I went once more, but not before making sure the fuckers added another 30 feet of sheets to our rope. Jesus wept. Nightmare though it was, there was still a bit of crack on that holiday. Like, now, now that I'm talking about it, like it's mad the way the past has a terrible habit of getting rose-tinted, and I suppose when you think about it, your sure me time in Cyprus will one day look the same. Mind you, nobody robbed me jocks out there. Jesus, here I am, missing it already, and I'm only giving out about it not half an hour ago. Still, it's nice to be home. Christmas anywhere else just isn't the same. Jesus, this Christmas is going to be nothing at all near what last Christmas was like, not by a country mile. Amazing what a year can change, isn't it? Coming up on the next episode of Off My Block, Bound and Rolled, Chapter 3, The Geeknaz. I tried that jet skiing thing, me bollocks. It's like hurling along on a soggy motorbike with no bleeding brakes. It scared the fucking shite out of me, so it did. I had a go at collecting the old coins and stamps. Loving divine jays, as I only lasted a week at it, like watching paint dry, so it was. Loving fuck, I'd rather drip hot candle wax on me business to pass the time. So I went back to the water and I tried fishing. A load of shite. The water skiing nearly fucking killed me when the one leg went one way and the other in the opposite direction. And let me tell you, doing the sideward splits is painful enough without doing it at 40 mile an hour. And the wake from the speedboat going after clackers like George Foreman training on a speedball. Hurt like fuck, so it did. This went on for about a month. I tried all sorts of activities. Sure, I was like a contestant on It's a Knockout, for the love of God. So many things did I try. Then one morning, out of a bright and blessed blue sky... It finally hit me. The pigeons. Or the geeknaz, as Ronnie used to call them. Hello, it's Stephen Duffy here. Welcome back, and Happy New Year. I hope that you're all keeping safe and well, and looking out for one another. Thanks for joining me on Off Me Block. As always, I hope that you're enjoying it, and that you'll join me next week for the next chapter in Tommy's Story, You can subscribe to Off Me Block for free here on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.